If you're new with us, I'm Greg. It's nice to meet you. If you're back with us for a second and third time, thanks for coming again. And if you're a regular with us, howdy. If you have a Bible, grab that. We're going to still be for the third week in a row in Luke chapter 1. Let me be in verse 39. So we just sing this song that's popular Christmas time. Mary, did you know? Familiar with the song before today? Any particular emotions attached to that song? Some people may feel like, well, it's kind of weird we're singing to a dead person. Um, maybe true. Uh, other questions like, uh, well, what did Mary know? Did she know Jesus was going to walk on water? Did she know he would rule the nations? Did she know that he was the great I am? Today, we're going to spend our time here in uh, chapter 1, verses 39 through 56. And uh, I promise you, you'll leave today uh, understanding what Mary knew. But when you hear that song, I don't want you to feel like you're singing to a dead person. I want you to be reminded of these verses. I want you to hear that song. I want you to sing that song as it comes on your radio or you're uh, bebopping around through uh, the store with the red circles, the arrow. I don't want to seem like I was advertising for anyone. Right? As you're bebopping along and maybe you hear that, uh, I, I don't want you to wonder, well, why are we singing to this Mary? Or what did Mary know? I want you to hear that song with great confidence of what Mary knew, of what Mary was prepared for. Last week, Ed walked us through as we were away. There were five couples away at this marriage uh, convention, conference, retreat weekend. So thank you, Ed, for walking us through um, that text. But last week, what we saw was a really opposite reactions to the word of God coming. Right? The word of God comes to Zechariah, and he's like, yeah, I don't Chronologically, it's not. Um, we're old. Um, and then the word comes to Mary, depending on, on what you, you study and where you look. She's somewhere between the ages of 12 and 18. Who knows really how old she is. But the word of the Lord comes to this unmarried teenager. And she's like, well, how's that going to work? All right. Well, if that's what the Lord says. And, and then what we see is today we're going to talk about the blessing that flowed out for Mary. For Mary. And, and what we saw last week at the end was that Zechariah lost the ability to speak. Right? So the consequences. So last week what we saw is when the Lord comes to us and speaks to us, our attitude about doing what he has called us to do and stepping into that will send us one direction or another. Today we're going to take a look at that. So let me read this for you. Matthew, Luke chapter 1, verse 39 through 56 says this. In those days Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country to a town in Judah. And she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, 
The baby leapt in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is it granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to my house? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leapt for joy. And blessed is she who believed. Remember, she's living in the consequences of Zechariah's unbelief. Like her husband's unable to speak. Blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. And Mary said, my soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in my God, my Savior. For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me and his holy name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. And he has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. And he has filled the hungry with good things and made the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers to Abraham and to his offspring for er, forever. And Mary remained with her for about three months and then returned home. Let's pray. Uh, Lord God, we, we ask you this morning to fill our hearts uh, with some truths. Uh, not just some random truths, but the truth of your word. The truth that will change the trajectory of our life, God that will put us on your path, that will lead us to be faithful to you. It will teach us how to hear you and teach us how to respond to you, God. Lord, we pray that you would be honored in our worship of the teaching of the word this morning. In your name we pray, amen. So Mary sings this song. We're gonna, we're gonna do these backwards. So we're going to start this morning kind of walking through and breaking down, starting in verse 46, and then we'll go back to 39 and, and wrap our time up together. So Mary's got this song of praise, and Mary's song of praise shows us uh, five things, five things. It's going to answer some questions for us. So are you ready? All right, for the two of you that nodded that you were ready. The first thing that Mary's song of praise shows us is that she is acquainted with the scriptures. Mary, though she is a teenage girl, has been taught the things of God. When she begins this section here, she says, My soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. Which if you go back to the Psalms, you're going to see a great number of them beginning with the ideas of my soul magnifying, my soul praising, my heart crying out to God. He is the Savior of my soul. He is my helper. He is my comfort. My soul sings out to Him. That's echoing the Psalms, but it also shows that she has been taught the histories too. Because if you flip over to 1 Samuel chapter 2, Hannah 
has prayed to God. This barren woman named Hannah has prayed to God to give her a child. God, give me a child. She even gets to the point where she bargains with God, right? You hear people all the time, don't bargain with God. Well, in the Bible, we see someone bargaining with God, but they also follow through with it, right? So if you're going to bargain with God, you probably be, better be willing to follow through. And this is what Hannah says. God, if you will give me a son, I'll give him back to you. I'll give him back. You, you just let me carry him, and you let me birth him, and then, and then he's yours. And she does, and she takes him to the temple, gives him to Eli, and Eli raises him. Mary here, with the great understanding of what we studied last week, knowing that the son that she has been given, that she has conceived by the Holy Spirit, will not be hers, but he will be God's. So there's no bargaining here for Mary, right? Mary's not this teenage girl going, man, God, I think before my wedding... Uh, the thing I'd like most is for you to give me a baby. I'd like for everyone in town to look at me cross-eyed. I'd like for everyone in town to wonder what I've done wrong. The thing I'd like most is you give me a baby. And then I'll give them back to you. And then I'll get married and have babies the other way. And that's cool. But what she understood is, is that in echoing Hannah's song there, Hannah's praise, Hannah's prayer, is she understands that she is carrying this child she will birth this child, but she will be giving this child back to God. Which pointed out, I was reading something last week. So, how many of you were named by your parents? Hey, raise your hand if you were named by your parents, right? It's a real easy one. Names come from our parents as a sign of ownership and authority. Like, this is my child. I have prayed. We just did a family dedication. Uh, for, for Vince and Teresa's family. And we talked about how uh, their, their son's name that they've prayed about, they've named their son Anthony James, which means precious one that follows after. And so they have named him. They have ownership. They have, they have uh, investment in what he will one day become based on what they've named him. But Mary doesn't get the opportunity to name her first son or because she doesn't have ownership of her son. She doesn't have an investment in what his future will become. Why? Because his name was handed down to him from the one who has ownership of him and who has investment in his future. And so you will conceive a son and you will call him Jesus because that's what God says his name will be. Because God has ownership and investment in what Jesus will become. So Mary, understanding and knowing Hannah's story understands that her story is no different than Hannah's. And so my soul praises you, God. You are my God and my salvation and my deliverer. And so Mary's song here shows us that she is acquainted with the scriptures. Uh, second thing that we see is deep humility. She says there in uh, verse 48, Speaking of, the, of her God, her Savior, for he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. Like, um, how many of you are painfully aware of who you are, right? The flaws inside of you, the downside of you, right? Like, I, 
I'm a grateful believer in Jesus Christ who struggles with uh, pride and arrogance and thinking he's better than you and knowing he's better than you and wanting to still be better than you and could go on all day, right? So I, I know the deficiencies in me. I know everything that's wrong with me and I know all of the reasons why God should never use me to do anything. Like, I, just, just honestly, I know, and, there, and that's what's scary is that there are probably secret things in my subconscious mind that I don't even know about. Right? It's just the things that I know about that says that I am completely unworthy. Thankfully, there is this Jesus who we celebrate, who brings the kingdom to earth. But Mary's like, gosh, I, man, I know. I, I know me. And I'm not worthy of this. Not worthy of this. Third thing is that we see lively thankfulness. Her soul magnifies the Lord in verse 46. Verse 47, her spirit rejoices. And in verse 48, there at the end, all generations will call me blessed. Verse 49, the mighty one has done great things for her. She understands who she is, deep humility, and she understands and knows who God is which leads her to lively thankfulness. Like, I mean, there's nothing I can do but lift up praise to God. There's an interesting line in here that when you read it one way, you could walk away believing one thing, and if you read it another way, you could walk away believing another thing. And so when, when you come across these things that depending on how you read it, you could believe one way or the other. What you have to do is look through the rest of the scriptures to see if the scriptures confirm one way or another. It says there in uh, verse 49, no, verse 47, the, the second half there, it says, For behold, from now on all generations will call me blessed. You could read that one way, and this is a command from this teenage girl that says, and, and the Lord has looked down on me in my humble state, and from now on, all the world will call me blessed. Proclamation from on low, high, the Lord will call me blessed. And so everyone from henceforth and forevermore shall look at me as special, as set apart, as though I am the one, as though I am perfect and sinless myself. And there is a line of thought out there that looks to Mary as blessed as this is a command. But like how many of you have had teenagers? Right? I got a 13-year-old. Here's the deal. You don't tell me what I'm going to call you. Hey, I'm talking to you. You don't get to tell me what I'm going to call you. You don't get to tell me. Let me just have a little moment with her. You're 13, you're growing up, but you're not grown yet. And one day, you may have to make a decision to put me in a nursing home, uh, and you will be the boss of me. But that day is not this day, and that day is not any day in the future, right? So we, we could look at, at this, behold, from this day forward, all of the world will call me blessed. Or, or she could look and say, in just keeping in with this section, 
her humility. The Lord has looked down on my humble state. And from now on, I will forever be attached to the coming of our Savior. And that is a blessing. Not that I am special. Not that I am holy. Not that you should cry out and talk to me instead of talking to God. But I am forever attached and the world will forever look at me as being blessed to have conceived by the Holy Spirit the Savior of the world. Having carried the Savior of the world and what she doesn't know is that in a few short months having to make a long donkey journey and give birth where cows eat. In her, in her deep humility, because of her lively thankfulness, she knows who she is and who God is. And I don't need to look at myself. And if Mary wouldn't look at herself in that way, we as the church of Jesus Christ should not. And so we don't have to pray to Mary. We, we pray to Jesus. Hebrews chapter 12 tells us that because Jesus was tempted in all the ways that we did, in all the ways that we are, we have this great and merciful high priest who we can call out to and who sympathizes with us and walks with us through this time. So, Mary, did you know? We're not singing to a dead person because a dead person can't hear you. Dead people can't hear you. And dead people who are in heaven don't want to hear you. Dead people in heaven are surrounded by choirs of angels who are at all times declaring the glory, the majesty, and the splendor of God Almighty. And their hearts are sent out that direction also. For them to hear you from earth would be to tarnish the beauty that is going on in their ears and their eyes. So don't pray to dead people. Pray to a very living Jesus Christ who hears you and walks with you through your time. So Mary, acquainted with the scriptures in deep humility and in lively thankfulness, shows her knowledge of the pattern of God. She says here in verse 50 uh, through 53, she says, And his mercy is for those who fear, not, not afraid of, but holy fear. Those, his mercy are for those who know the score. Like God's mercy is for those who look up and see on the scoreboard that it is a hundred to nothing. That it is infinity to nothing. Like those of you who know the score, they know where you are and they know where God is. His mercy is for you. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown the strength with his arm, and he has scattered the proud in their thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. And he has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent away empty. Mary knows the redemptive pattern of God. Mary 
knows from her studying of the scripture that God is the God of the weak. And in their weakness, he provides his strength. God is not the God of the strong. God is not the God of the bold warrior. God is the God who says, you got too many troops. If you go fight that battle, I'm not getting any credit for it. So pare down your troops. You still have too many troops. I'm still not going to get the credit for it. God is the God who sends out a tiny army who is exponentially outnumbered by their opponent and gains the victory for them. God is the God who has angel armies surrounding the army of God. If we would just cry out, God, give me, open the eyes of my heart that I may see what you are doing. And it looks like we're about to lose this battle, but then God opens the eyes of our hearts and we see that he is there. We see this time and time again in our last series through the book of Daniel. The king has a dream. He goes to his wise men. None of them can figure it out. Comes to Daniel. I don't know. Let me pray about it. Let me talk to my God about it. And then he gives Daniel the answer. Over and over again through that series, what we saw is kingdoms rising and kingdoms falling. We saw God coming and speaking to the humble and we saw him shutting the minds of those who thought that they had wisdom. Mary understands the redemptive pattern of God. That, that hungry get fed and rich get sent away with nothing. That weak get strong and strong get shown just how weak they are. How does she know that? Because she has been taught the word of God. You see, you see, we begin with her acquaintance with the scriptures. And her acquaintance with the scriptures gives her humbleness and thankfulness. And, and that is proven to her by understanding God's redemptive pattern. And so, Mary, did you know that your baby boy would one day walk on water? Now, I don't necessarily know that she knew that. But she did know that this child that she delivered would soon deliver her. Because she understood that God who put a baby inside of me, a teenage girl who has no business, one, having a baby, and two, being looked upon by God, man, that seems exactly how God would work. That's, that, that seems exactly like the character of God that I have read and been taught in the Old Testament scriptures, which then increased in her humility and lively thankfulness for who God is. Mary acquainted with the scriptures, deeply humble, lively in her thankfulness, knowing the patterns of God, God's redemptive pattern. She also understood and knew the promises of God. There at the end, verse 54 and 55, he has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. Abraham was told that his descendants would outnumber the stars. And through this line, the Savior of the world would come. And so Abraham has Isaac, and the promise continues. And Isaac has Jacob, 
Then Jacob has a bunch of kids. Then Judah, who Mary knows who she's from. She knows the line which she comes from. And she knows the sinful brokenness of her ancestor, her great-grandfather, Judah. But she knows it's just like God to redeem this broken, sinful man and send the Savior of the world through this line. Why? Because that's what he promised to do. And he promised 360 different things that he would do. So did Mary know that Jesus would do all the things that he would do? Mary was well acquainted with the scriptures. She knew God's redemptive pattern and she was aware of all of his promises. So the answer is yes. Mary knew that her baby boy would rule the nations. That he would deliver her. And she knew in fact he was the great I am. So when you hear that song, I want you to hear it from a point of reality. Not a, I wonder what teenage Mary knew. Maybe we should ask her. No, teenage Mary knew. And you can know too. Because if you will dive in to the same thing that Mary dove into, you can be acquainted with the scriptures, which will create in you great humility and thankfulness to God. And will give you the opportunity to understand the redemptive pattern of God. And then you can hang on to these promises, right? Without the promises of God being yes and amen, which the scriptures tell us, we got no hope of anything, right? If God promised it, it always has and it always will happen. So dive into the scriptures. Get into a small group. Don't do it alone. We skipped that first part because of what I just said right there. You can't do it alone. Verse 39 through 45 show us the benefit of fellowship and communion with believers. The benefit and fellowship, the benefit of fellowship and communion between believers. It says this, in those days Mary arose and she went with haste into the hill country to a town in Judah. She entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leapt in her womb and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. So here's this exchange. This exchange between Mary and Elizabeth gives this communion, gives this bond and this relationship. And the first thing that we see in this passage is this communion. And, and so we get to the first one. The next slide there is the filling of the Holy Spirit. Now there is, there is a, a particular line of church that has these fundamental truths that guide them. And one of them says that the initial evidence of the baptism of the Holy Spirit is the speaking in tongues. Because in chapter 2 of the book of Acts, when the people are filled with the Holy Spirit, they speak in tongues. And so they will take that right there and say that the initial evidence, if you have been baptized in the Holy Spirit, you will speak in tongues. But I'll tell you right here in Luke chapter 1, it says, And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leapt in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. No mention of speaking in tongues. No mention. I'm not saying that you do or don't have to speak in tongues. I'm just saying don't let anyone tell you that if you don't, you don't have the Holy Spirit. 
Because it is the presence of Jesus that made the baby inside of Elizabeth leap. And the presence of Jesus filled Mary, or filled Elizabeth with the Holy Spirit. Speaking in tongues is one of those largely debated things inside of the church, and it is a gift from the Holy Spirit. It is a special enablement that the Holy Spirit allows some people to have. But it is not a requirement. Don't let anyone make you feel like you are less a follower of Jesus because you've never done that. Because there is no biblical evidence that Elizabeth ever did that. But there is biblical evidence that Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. The next thing that we see there in 42 and 43 is this shared blessing. She exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. Why is it granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? So, so what we see is when we commune together as believers, when we fellowship together as believers, there is shared blessing. Elizabeth looks at Mary and says, Mary, you are blessed. And why is it that I have been blessed that you would even come to my house? So there is this shared blessing when you and I gather together to try to be acquainted with the scripture, develop thankfulness and humility, understanding God's redemptive patterns, and seeking out and knowing the promises of God. When we do that together, we give ourselves the opportunity to be filled with the Holy Spirit so that we can understand this ancient, mysterious book that we can't understand without the Holy Spirit. And we share in one another's blessings. And one of the ways that we share in one another's blessings is that we share in one another's sorrows. Right? When I weep with you, I am blessed by the Lord to have someone to weep with. And you are blessed by the Lord to have someone weep with you. So even in our darkest moments when we fellowship and commune together as believers, we still find ourselves positioned for blessing. So we see filling of the Holy Spirit, shared blessing, and increased faith. So she said, for verse 45, And blessed is she that believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. Remember, Elizabeth is living in the consequences of her husband's unbelief. But because Mary believed, she says that she is blessed for having believed, and her faith is increased. You believed the word of the Lord, and it is fulfilled that increases my faith. So when we gather together to circle our hearts and our minds around the scriptures, to understand God's patterns and his promises, we position ourselves for the Holy Spirit to come and open up new avenues for us to understand that we could never do in our human mind. We stand to be blessings to one another and be blessed by one another. And we stand to have our faith in Jesus Christ expanded by studying his word together knowing that there are other people out there who are praying for me. And so as I step out in faith into a new job, as I step out into faith into a new community, as I step out into faith into a new family dynamic, 
I stand, I have my faith increased as I walk, as I commune, as I fellowship with other believers. So two things we see here in this section of text today. We got to be together. So I'm going to ask you guys something that's a, it's a pretty hard ask. But we're going to have church in two weeks on a Sunday morning when most people are opening presents. And I am going to ask you not to put family tradition and I'm going to ask you not to put materialism and consumerism ahead of communing together and fellowshipping together as believers. Because when we do, we stand to have our faith increased. We stand to bless and be blessed by one another. And we stand to position ourselves to be filled with the Holy Spirit. I'm not telling you not to have presents, and I'm not telling you not to celebrate Christmas, but I'm telling you that from 10.30 to 11.30, on Sunday, December the 25th, we should gather together. We should commune and fellowship as believers. So we're not going to do our traditional Christmas Eve gathering, because I don't want to ask you to do two things. But I'm telling you that gathering together on Sundays on the Sabbath to worship and fellowship with God. That's his design. These extra things, these Christmas Eve, there's churches all over town. You need Christmas Eve service? You want to light a candle and lift it up? But we're not saying that's a bad thing. And we're not saying that we're not going to do it next year. But this year, Christmas falls on Sunday. What better way to celebrate the birth? What better way to celebrate the phrase, your kingdom come, your will be done, than to say presence can wait. Than to say family traditions can wait. But the redemptive history of God is worth celebrating. And then the other thing that it does is lets us know that Mary knew exactly the gospel message that was going to be lived out through her son. Mary knew that her son would be given up to death for her sins. Mary was not sinless. Mary did not stay a virgin. Or Jesus miraculously had a bunch of other Holy Spirit conceived siblings, which we know that she had other children. So she knew that one day her son, just like Hannah, gives her son up to be used of the Lord she knew that as she gave her son up to be used of the Lord, that he would one day lose his life for her sin. But she also knew that the power of God would grant him the ability to take it back up so that he could stand as her savior and her king, her great and merciful high priest. And so during this Christmas season, we come to the table and celebrate Jesus' death at the time where we celebrate his birth. Because it is impossible for Jesus to have died for our sins if he was not fully human. And it's impossible for him to be fully human without being born from a woman. And so as Tripp comes up and sings one more song over us, I want you to come to the table. <clears throat>
I want you to feast together as the communing, fellowshipping bride of Christ who is positioning themselves to be filled with the Holy Spirit, who's positioning themselves to be blessed and be a blessing to others, and positioning themselves to have increased faith, knowing that Mary was fully aware of all that Jesus would accomplish for her and for you. We celebrate his cross at this season of his birth because the two are forever linked. So as Tripp sings, you come to the table, you feast on the body and the